Views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. Gobble, gobble, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week for our Thanksgiving weekend version of Break the Business. So excited to have you here. And as I'm recording this now, it is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So I am with bated breath for the food that I will be consuming. By the time you're hearing this, I will already probably consume that food if you're not checking out the live stream Either way, this whole weekend is terrific, and I'm happy to be here and talk about indie creators with you. And thankfully, I'm not talking to you all alone. We are joined by our co-host this week, someone we haven't had on in a while, and that is just uh, too upsetting. So we're going to fix that right now. Zach Sloan joining us. Hey, Zach. What's up, Ryan? So good to see you. What a what a sight for sore eyes you are, my man. As I mentioned, you haven't been with us for a while, but... I'd like to think you have a pretty dang good excuse uh, recently. Uh, you know what? I'm not even going to announce it because that's that's where's the fun in that. Tell the people what you've been up to. So uh, about a month ago now, a little over a month, my wife gave birth. And so I still I start I feel weird saying we had a baby. My wife did all of the heavy lifting on that one. Uh, yeah! I, I was present and as helpful as I could be so we've we have a we have a little baby girl and you know not too sleep deprived but it's great to be back talking some music uh because while i have been out i have not been out of the loop if you know what i mean that i was just gonna say for a new dad you seem fresh as a daisy and we're thrilled for you obviously the entire break the business community could not be happier for you so we have to bestow our show's highest honor to you which is of course cartoonpartyhorn.aif so so happy for you man like i already know from knowing you this is going to be a chill kid what it's a, just a, a cool kid like pass every vibe check she ever comes across that's it's just great news she's she's fine but that has nothing to do with my genetics that's all my wife you know <laughs> like my wife went and and no joke wholly unmedicated got through fine and i was just, what i know it was what bonkers. yeah so baby's chillness is is her not me and I'm, I'm glad you say I look fresh because I actually feel like crap because I got my third <laughs> COVID shot. Um, and so I can't even blame the baby on me feeling not great. It was all, you know, COVID. Oh, man. So we are getting uh, boosted and new dad, Zach Sloan. I know. Happy to have you in all your forms here. What a great show we have this week. Joining us after the break, our guest is David Andrew Weeb. He is the creator of Musicpreneur HQ, an informational resource platform for indie creators. He's been podcasting, songwriting, making courses for a long, long time. I'm so excited to have him share his insight about indie creation with uh, all the viewers and listeners this week. Great, great guest. Uh, pretty stoked about it. Start things off. Start the things proceedings off here, Zach. Got a little trivia question for you, just to kind of... Uh -oh. To get your mind racing, you know, maybe you got that that post-pregnancy, uh, you know, brain. We're going to see if we can start that uh, start that brain back up again. So we're going to we've been on a Taylor Swift kick lately, Zach. So we're going to keep the Taylor Swift vibes going on lately. 
Here's the answer. You know, by lately, I mean for like the last three and a half years. So here's the trivia question. The 10-minute version of Taylor Swift's All Too Well has now become the longest Hot 100 number one in terms of length in history. What song previously held the record? November rain. No, that can't be it. In a Gata de Vida. Let's go. Let's go insane. Both really good guesses. Um, not right. I want to see if our producer Lauren knows this one. I only ask her because, like, she's making the no face. But Lauren, Lauren, before you just shake your head there in the green room, I know this is one of your favorite songs. Like you, you played this on continuous loop throughout our childhood. For what that's worth, is it anything, Madonna? No, it's not anything Madonna. <laughs> the answer is American Pie by Donna. Oh, fair enough. Madonna covered American Pie. By that, there you go. That's, I'll take but it. Her, her version wasn't like, you know, nine minutes long, though. I think hers no. was a lot faster. But yeah, there you go. All right. Okay. So now, now now that we're thinking about pie, which is perfect for Thanksgiving, right? And we've, we're thinking about music. <laughs> It's the perfect segue to talk about some pretty cool music industry stories this week. A couple really interesting articles that have popped up in the last few weeks that have provided some numerical context to just how big the creator economy is getting and how much bigger it is going to get relative to more conventional platforms. We've talked ad nauseum on this program, Zach, about how the creator economy is growing, how it's creating a lot of opportunities for the creators checking out this program to get empowered, to make real income that they can build off of and invest in and create you know, real wealth and a sustainable music career. But up until now, we haven't been able to kind of give you a lot of numbers, a lot of firm context to just what is happening here. And thankfully, our friends at the payment processing company Stripe recently put out an article where they actually analyzed the data from 50 creator economy platforms to tell us just how big these platforms are getting. And what their data shows is that uh, currently there is over 660,000 active creators using one of these 50 creator economy platforms like, you know, uh, you know Teachable or Patreon or any of these. Mm-hmm. And that's up 48% from 2020 because there was a big jump in the creator economy people between 1990 and 2019 and 2020. And many people said, oh, that's pandemic driven. You know, everybody is, you know, no people, musicians can't go on tour. So now they have to use a creator economy platforms to make a living. But it turns out it wasn't just pandemic driven because we've seen another 48% jump between 2020 and 2021. And to give you an idea of where things have gone on this platform, and I know you saw this article, Zach, if you go back to just four years ago, the number of active creators on these platforms was less than 50,000. So in a very short time, we've seen exponential growth where the real sec- the, the real growth of just artistic creation is all coming from creator economy platforms as opposed to just creators using exclusively uh, non-creator economy platforms, non-creator driven platforms like Spotify or Apple Music. It's it's an interesting thing, and what this article kind of pointed out to me was something I'd always known intuitively just from paying attention to YouTube about how some of my favorite guitar players also have guitar courses that you can download and pay for. Um, that these alternative uh, alternative methods or methods platforms for making making money are actually not only you know more successful, I think, for a lot of people, uh, but there's a huge diversity. There were some of these platforms I didn't know existed, and I usually have my ear to the ground on this type of thing. So there's some real opportunity out there. 
Yeah, the, that that is the other thing about this article that was pretty surprising to me is the sheer number of creator economy platforms that have emerged. Because, yeah, I was reading the list of the 50 platforms that Stripe used, and I didn't recognize two-thirds of them. And of the I ones did. I did recognize, half of them I was like, I've seen the name before, but I couldn't tell you for the life of me what they do. And But all of these platforms are thriving, and it's just the beginning. You know, there are billions of dollars going into a VC, going into creator economy platforms. So we're going to see a lot more of these. We're going to see a lot more uh, funding come into these, come into this sector. And we're going to see a lot more uh, diverse business models for these. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of creator economy platforms where we're going to have real creator ownership, maybe a decentralized autonomous organization. So creators actually getting not just equity, but a voice in how these platforms are run. I think these are going to be you know, a lot of Web3 type platforms that are decentralized. Yeah. And to me, that that's really what excites me. And let's talk about what you were speaking about there earlier, Zach, about teaching platforms, right? And that was one of the that was one of the big takeaways that I got from this Stripe article that was talking about how by far the largest creator economy category is in education. It is creators yeah. making educational resources. And uh Sherry Hu from Water and Music who was writing about this article was saying how this is really an underutilized resource for artists. Like we know that education is a big platform of the creator economy, but not enough artistic creators are creating courses, instructional videos, and that's a huge revenue stream. It is. I think there's there's two sides to that, right? Like on the one hand, and this guy isn't a uh, a, mu- a musician. Well, he is, but I know, and he was on your show. He was on Graham Cochran, who runs um, the Recording Revolution. Oh website. yeah, Graham Cochran. Um, he was one of the first people that ever I ever really paid attention to making courses and things, and he was just doing it from his website, based from YouTube. And then uh, over the years, you know, his his business has kind of has grown substantially. And I think about the success he had in a pre-teachable world where yeah. you really had to go out of your way to find him. And now that there is a place where you can create things and people are going nowhere to go to look for it, I think that the, the – the push is that that's really good that there that this is allowing people to get to what they need and people can make it. But the pull I'm afraid of is it doesn't saturate the market. And what does that mean for people who are trying to make these courses? Do you need to up your game? Do you need to be aware of the competition? I think probably, but I don't know if that's a bad thing. Well, yeah, it's gonna get. It's like like anything. It's gonna we're gonna have a saturated market. Like you know, five years ago, you know, having a Patreon profile was a big deal and there weren't a lot of players in that space five years ago having a twitch account that was sort of an untapped uh, resource and there were a lot of there was a lot of potential in that space and courses are going to be the same thing so what that's telling you know what what i'm inferring from that in terms of the lesson for creators is get into this now before it becomes saturated because i mean every creator by virtue of being a creator you are knowledgeable of some aspect of creating, whether it's playing instruments, whether it's production, whether it's coaching, whether it's public speaking, or just whatever you're skilled at, that's something that you can impart lessons and teach. And what this data is showing you from this Stripe blog article is there is a lot of uh, potential market there. And so I think we could be getting to the point where every creator, or at least the vast majority of creators, are going to have an educational revenue stream is just one of their revenue streams, right? Like most artists are going to say, I put music out on Spotify. I, I live stream music. I go on tour. I sell merchandise. 
and I have courses. It's going to be another one of the standard revenue streams of every creator's toolkit. I'll tell you what, if Hailstorm right now, one of my favorite bands of all time, would get on Teachable and be like, we're going to teach you how to play the latest album, you know, and just their guitar player would sit down and just show you how to play the whole thing, I would pay for that just so I don't have to spend time learning it, you know, by ear. Um, I think there's a huge... Uh, a huge opportunity here for lots of musicians to not just, you know, teach songs and things like that, but maybe work in the songwriting space, work in the production space like you talked about, or even just just work in the space of something that's tangentially related to their music. You know, I mean, yeah. maybe some poetry poetry type workshops and things like that. I think the possibilities, while not endless, are, it's quite a long list. And think about what it means in terms of fan engagement, like you were just yeah. saying, that band that you were talking about, you love this band. You, you would relish an opportunity to take a course from this band, not just because you want to learn that song, but just because you would love another avenue by which to interact and consume something that this beloved band of yours creates. So like a lot of super fans that you might have will want to take your courses and, and learn from you as just another way to interact with you. So you're cultivating a stronger fan base, a deeper fan connection that you can use for a wide variety of other projects down the road. It seems like a way to an, a great mechanism by which to get that hundred true fans or thousand true fans that you always hear spoken about. You know, and the more I think about it, I think, you know, entire, it would be an interesting, interesting uh, idea for an entire band to come together and make courses based on their release releases, have the bass player do their thing, the guitar player show with the guitar parts, the vocalist or whoever writes the music talk about that and make it, it's almost becomes then a course on how they made their record and how you can transfer those skills to yours. I'm just spitballing on behalf of asking Hailstorm to please do this so I can learn all your secrets. <laughs> Couldn't help but uh, sense an ulterior motive there. The two bands that need to do that are Hailstorm and Dear Marsha. If you two would do that, I would gladly pay money to learn your secrets. You basically just packaged their whole proposal for them. Mm -hmm. I love you it. Know it. Um, well, I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm talking to somebody on this stream right now who not only is a very knowledgeable musician and a knowledgeable producer, but also who happens to be a teacher. I'm just thinking, like... The Zach Sloan teaches production course. I'd be all over that. Like there, there seems to be some, some opportunities here, my man. There are. I think you know one thing to consider as you're, especially for the musicians who are trying to do this, putting together a high quality course or even a lesson takes a lot of time, and you know, slot. And people can tell when you've just slapped something together and it's sloppy and not good. So spend. Set aside some serious time to make something good, because you don't want your first uh, your first offering to be a bunch of garbage. But just be aware, good teaching takes a long time to do. Yeah, and you know that you you teach too. Don't act like I'm the only teacher in this in on this podcast. I oh don't don't I know it? And uh, I've been in I've actually been in teaching mode all day today because I'm I have to get my courses ready for the spring semester uh, at Doral College mm -hmm. and um. So this is this is so inside baseball, but as a teacher, you're going to appreciate this, Zach. Our college has recently changed student or uh, learning management system software. Oh God! And so, so I've had to spend my whole day instead of like practicing law and helping indie creators, I am moving like learning modules from one platform to another platform, and these are two platforms that like don't talk to each yeah. other at all. 
where because like the makers of the new platform are like oh don't worry like the files are going to import no problem and by import no problem they mean we will take your beautiful course that you built and then send you like nothing but ascii text you know in and like webdings font uh, in, in the new version of the course so i had to like move stuff over one by yeah, one dude. and so nobody is more richly aware of what it means to have to like build a great course but if you can it really helps you stand out and there's lots of great platforms like interval and Podia and teachable yeah. that that help you put these things together so you're not alone and you can also sell the courses on those platforms it, i mean it's not i mean you are correct in that it is not something where you can just wake up one morning and I'm going to build a course. It's a lot of work, but it can be worth it. And I'm glad we actually have David Andrew Weeb coming up after the break as he's yeah. built courses. He's written books on this stuff. I'm sure he will have a piece of advice or two for the indie creators out there who are liking what we're talking about in terms of adding teaching and adding building courses to their uh, array of revenue streams. And Making a a course and planning out something like that is not that different from making a good record, right? Most very few musicians roll into the studio with no plan whatsoever, and if you ever do that, that's a terrible idea. Um, so if you have the skill set to make an album, you have the skill set to do this as well. That's interesting. Do you find like the reverse has been true for you that that your background as a teacher and what you learned as a teacher in terms of lesson planning and organizing and things like that has any of that stuff found its way into the creative process for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, not as much lesson planning because that's something that I've never been like great at doing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, that's not true. My lesson planning largely is in my head, and as is my, you know, my my studio work. You know, I was in the studio this past weekend recording guitar parts for my band, and I walked in there with you know my charts, but you know a list of stuff in my head of prepared things that I was ready to work on. Um, put you may not have to put pen to paper, but Musicians, you know, we can all at least think it through, and that's how I do it. As I put many, many hours thinking things through and organizing those little files in my head. <laughs> I love it. Well, before we go to break here, I wanted to talk about one other story with you that I think is really, really cool, Zach, and kind of fits in with sort of the kick we've been on in the last few weeks. And you, you, you might have missed out on some of this. I know you uh, listen to a lot of the podcast episodes, and maybe you even like listen to one or two of them while. Uh, you know, through the baby delivery process, my, but not while not during the delivery process after you mean like it, it wasn't like the, the, the podcast wasn't playing like in the room at the time while, you know, she's you know giving birth. Oh, I'm a little I offended. tried, but my wife threw something. At me. <laughs> um, so sorry, so, Ryan. Well, I know you've listened to a few episodes. So you might have noticed that, like, we've been on a kick the last few weeks where we've kind of reapproached what it means to empower indie creators and really what that means in the grander scope of the creator economy. And so we've talked a lot about wanting to develop, wanting to see more creator economy platforms where creators are actually getting equity in these platforms that they're helping build. The idea that a platform like Twitch sold for a billion dollars, mainly on the backs of an army of independent creators who help make that platform thrive. Imagine if a portion of that platform's equity could have been set aside from the beginning to those creators in the same way that a startup sets aside equity for its first employees. We could have created a lot of wealth there. So we're starting to, but the good news is we're starting to see some instances of existing creator economy platforms wanting to get creators part of the equity. So this is from the Hollywood reporter video sharing service. Triller has announced that it is setting up a fund for black creators on the platform. 
Participating creators will sign one-year contracts and will be required to post eight videos to Triller a month. And for their work, the creators were will earn $2,000 a month in cash, which is nice. But what's really cool is that they will also get $2,000 in convertible stock warrants, a.k.a. equity, in the company TrillerNet, which, uh, as we have heard, is planning to go public soon. It's sort of, you know, it's a, it's not a huge gesture. $2,000 is probably not going to grow into an amount of wealth that could uh, allow these creators to you know, eventually retire on a private island somewhere. But the fact that creator economy platforms are even starting to have this mindset now where they're actually associating the parting of equity to creators that make these platforms possible sounds to me like this could be the beginning of a sea change, and that excites me. And there's, I have three kind of thoughts on this. First of all is, you're right, it's probably not the amount of money that's going to turn, like, be life-changing money. But sort of the... Th- the crux of this podcast is, you know, all your eggs shouldn't be in one basket anyway. So be doing your stuff on Triller. Also be over here on Teachable or whatever platform selling some st- some courses. Get all that together. Second, for all the people who are inevitably are going to get on Twitter and be like, this is racist, shut up, you're wrong. We don't want to hear about that. Um, <laughs> third, uh, Triller, I think, has been one of the more interesting uh, companies to watch as they've done like marketing and things like this because this is not their four way into like some first foray into some big splashy marketing stuff before, and I'm kind of amazed that, frankly, I I'm I'm amazed that other other platforms aren't picking up on this because this seems like a really good incentive for people to head over to Triller, and I think Facebook the last the only other equivalent I can think of off the top of my head is Facebook gaming their gaming platform. For like 30 seconds, tried to do something similar, and it failed colossally because they didn't put enough weight behind it, in my opinion. So I really hope Triller leans into this because I think it could be a big opportunity. Absolutely. And I'm hoping that they are going to get a lot, just just a big bump from just the positive PR that something like this does. And it's going to make them want to do it more and in bigger quantities and to really just bake it into their overall business plan because I think this stuff does become contagious. Triller starts doing it, and then maybe ByteDance starts doing it, and then maybe some of the bigger platforms, the Amazons and the Facebooks, start to do some version of this, although it's a little tougher with those because a lot of those older platforms that have already gone public you know, it's not, there's not as much potential to kind of get in on the ground floor of something that could be potentially become huge. That being said, if Facebook ever wants to give Facebook stock to indie creators, I ain't going to stop them. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> going to take a quick break here, and then we will be joined by David, Andrew Weeb. Don't go anywhere. Got lots of great fun coming up here on Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including 
audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at the BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, anybody, everybody, I should say. <laughs> On Facebook, I'm already, see, I'm thinking about Thanksgiving turkey and it's messing me up. We're on Facebook Live, Twitter Live, Twitch, YouTube Live, and Sirius XM Channel 145, wherever you're checking us out. Happy to have you. Ryan Carella joined here with Zach Sloan. How you feeling, man? Hey, you know what? That third COVID shot's starting to really kick in and I, you know, not feel good. Come the on. way I botched that rejoin, I think I might have had my third COVID shot and don't even know it. Let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week. He is an award-winning songwriter, podcaster, and music entrepreneur who is the creator of Music Entrepreneur HQ, an informational resource platform for indie creators. You can also visit musicentrepreneurhq.com to learn more about our guest's content, his Music Money Machine course, and his acclaimed book, The Music Entrepreneur Code, the latest edition of which will be coming out in 2022. We're happy to welcome David Andrew Weeb on to Break the Business. Hello, David. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Zach. How are you? Doing so great. Happy to have you. This is going to be an absolute blast. What do you think of sort of the beginning of the conversation? I don't know how much of that you caught in the first segment about artists getting into making courses. Obviously, you have courses, Music Money Machine. You've been in that space for a long, long time. What advice do you have to creators that are interested in what we talked about in the first segment and maybe are thinking about getting started in making courses? Where do they start? I was just doing a little bit of coaching in the last couple of days with a musician, and he was starting a membership. And so... It was great that he'd identified the opportunity that was actually something he was going to do. And I was excited for him. But where he was stuck was like, I'm going to release music all the time. Is that what I'm going to be stuck doing from now till eternity? And I just said, look, you can share lyrics. You can share tabs. You can share videos from your daily life. You can put together a book of pictures and snippets and thoughts and ideas. And so we, once we got the ball rolling, it's like, okay, so you can make acoustic versions of electric songs. You could make electric versions of acoustic songs. You could have someone remix your songs. There's just countless opportunities. And he's like, oh, this is exactly what I needed. So, I mean, that's what I see as being possible for anybody that's creating, whether it's a membership or a course, you just need someone to direct you a little bit in brainstorming ideas and speculating on possibilities, and then just bring all that all together. Oh. Certainly, you're an expert in that regard, just bringing all these things together. You're doing so many things in the creator economy space that my intro, in fact, didn't even mention your popular podcast, the New Music Industry <laughs> Podcast, because I, I think if I mentioned everything that you did in my intro, it would take 45 minutes. And then, you know, I mean, we can only be on Sirius XM for an hour, so we have to kind of keep things tight, you know. But uh, on that podcast, you had mentioned that you were talking about what you called the number one thing getting in the way of artists creating an income in music. What is that number one thing? Oh, the number one thing? I'm pretty sure I framed it as as being not distraction, 
and not fear, but it was kind of like a form of fear that we sometimes experience. And as as artists, obviously, there's a lot of different things we could we could be afraid of, right? We could be afraid of rejection and other things. Actually, what it is is we procrastinate, so we do busy work. Busy work is the number one thing that gets in the way of us succeeding as artists. And so we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And people often say, I would just, I just wish I had more time. And, and I think we can all resonate with that, right? It's like, if I had more, but for me, it's like, if I had more energy, then I could stay up longer and do more work. But, but either way, whether it's time or energy, it's all about what you're putting your time and energy into. You know, we have to prioritize and figure out where we can have the highest impact in our work. And so this this busy work, we all have to do some administrative work. We all have to do a little bit of bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff. That's important. But really, what is the number one thing right now that's going to make the biggest difference in your career? And we want to begin to identify that and make sure we're covering out time because it's not going to happen by accident. Well, and obviously that's going to differ from artist to artist, but can you give some examples of, for maybe a typical independent musician, what some of the activities might be that are those kind of big high impact activities that you want to emphasize over just filling your day with busy work so that you can say you accomplished a lot that day? Making music. That's a big one. Yeah. (laughs) Networking. We actually started to frame that as Dream 100. So make a list of the 100. Let's say I made a list of, uh, and you were on it, right? I made a list of 100 blogs and podcasts and radio stations and, and anybody else in the music industry that might possibly want to feature me on their show or blog or magazine or what have you. I've even reached out outside of the music industry to, to see where, where some opportunities and, and possibilities might lie. So that Dream 100 list is, is almost really going to frame the, how your career is going to go from that moment forward. The musician I was talking to yesterday, you know, he's like, I want to play Wembley Stadium. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But what is the brand? You know, what's the impact and difference you want to make in the world? And he started talking about personal development. And I said, well, do you realize how many conferences and events and workshops and things that happen every single week? There's got to be thousands of them right across the world. So why don't we begin to create a Dream 100 list based on the fact that you want to go and play at these conferences and events? At first, you might just be playing a side stage or get like a two song opportunity. But who knows, maybe in 10 years, you could be playing on the stage with Tony Robbins, right? Play three songs at the beginning, play three songs at the end. Wouldn't that be amazing? Everybody would know who you are. Man. So walk me through specifically what a Dream 100 list is. Yeah, it was originally created by Chet Holmes, and now it's being popularized by online marketers like Russell Brunson. And the Dream 100 is is really about identifying like, Again, it's about high impact, high performance. Who are the 100 people or influencers or experts that have access to your audience? And for some musicians, you might include people like Snoop Dogg or Beyonce or Katy Perry on your list. It doesn't mean that you're tomorrow somehow you're going to be in their back pocket and they're going to invite you on stage or anything like that. But could you build a relationship with them over the course of 10 years? Quite possible, right? So we want to really look at who has access to our audience already. Or or another way of thinking about it, you are the CEO of your music business. So 
audiences have already been built, by the way, and all you need to do is to gain access to them. So you need to look at who has your audience and then begin building relationships with them. You might send them gifts. You might start following them on their blog or their podcast or their YouTube channel. Sign up for their email list. Buy, buy their products. That's going to start uh, getting their attention for sure. Man, Zach, this is fascinating. Like we we often talk about goal setting on this program, yeah. and obviously most people will define setting goals by tasks to complete, big ones, small ones. You, know, you set a big goal, you have intermediate goals. But here's another way to kind of conceptualize goal setting that I really dig, which is not defining it just by tasks completed, but defining it by relationships built, connections made, because obviously those connections can lead to opportunities, can lead to the different audiences that these connections have. And if you define it by relationships, it actually, as far as I'm concerned, incentivizes a creator to put themselves out there, to actually get out into the world, either physically or virtually, and not just kind of stay in their own little home doing busy work. What do you think of this, Zach? That's pretty cool. I think it's, I think it's, I'm actually a little jealous I didn't come up with this. Um, I know, that's so clever. <laughs> right, because there have been lots of times where I have occupied a day doing stuff, and I've regretted it. But I have never regretted mate building a relationship. And, you know, and, and that's like one of the things that I kind of miss about music conferences, is going and meeting a lot of people. Right? I don't know if the, the panels were always the most useful thing for me, but meeting all the people there... And so what you're saying, David, makes a heck of a lot of sense. And I think oftentimes I see musicians who are a little reticent to go out and do this networking stuff. What are, what are some ways that we can improve on doing this type of work? Yeah. I mean, for me, I just started by being way more conscious of the content I was consuming. So if I was on a blog and I enjoyed the blog post and I had something to add to it, I would leave a comment. And I, I, that just carried over everywhere, whether it was a podcast or a social media post. If there was something that I was interested in and wanted to get into the conversation and really felt like I had something valuable to add to that conversation, that's what I did. And, you know, people still often talk about let's get into forums and message boards. Well, that's how it really works. You don't just show up and drop your links. You actually engage in the conversation, add some value. You, and then people start to wonder who you are and want to connect with you. So I feel like that's an easy place, even if you're a complete introvert, could you like think of something intelligent or valuable to say? And I think for most people, that's going to, that's going to be, yes, it's just getting in the habit. When you I talk about wanna... forums, oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. when you talk about forums, cause like, I think of like, cause I'm old, I think of like the old Usenet forums, but today mm. is the modern equivalent of that, like Twitter feeds, Reddit, subreddits, things like that. What, what type of forums are you referencing? Yeah. You know and that was sort of an old, old school marketing technique that I was referencing, but that isn't to say they don't still exist. Right. I have a community that's called Elite Players All Access Pass. We have a forum on the inside. It's a members only forum. So that's where some conversations can, can certainly take place. There's other, other ones out there. My coach, James Schramko on Superfast Business, he has a membership as well. And that's where his members only forum exists. So they're still out there and so in some cases still active. You know, today, sure, certainly it plays out on places like Clubhouse or, or some of the social networks that exist as well. Yeah, I've been pretty intrigued by what's happening with Twitter very recently with Twitter mm. spaces as they're kind of doing their equivalent of Clubhouse. Right. And I've already checked out a few talks and uh, have learned a whole bunch and uh, done a few Clubhouse sessions and have joined that too. I want to learn more about you now, David, mm. if, if you don't mind, because I'm always intrigued. Whenever we have the uh, 
you know, the people who make the courses, the coaches, the podcasters on, especially the ones like you that, you know, also got their start in songwriting. I'm always fascinated to hear the story of how they uh, started embracing like coaching and teaching as a part of their creator repertoire. How did you get into this space? Yeah. Uh, the challenge with, with answering a question like this is always kind of knowing where to start. But I think the short version is, you know, my dad passed away when I was a 13. He got into a motorcycle accident and he was in a coma for 10 days. And, and for me, it was just like, am I on candid camera? Is someone going to come around and tell me that everything's okay? And, and it wasn't, you know, my dad did in fact pass on. And so maybe it was just the the pain of, of having gone through that experience of, of an untimely death that I started writing songs. And music was always in the background when I was hanging out with friends or playing video games or watching TV. That's usually where my time was spent in my room. Although we got outdoors a lot too. I grew up in Japan actually. And that's where my dad got into the motorcycle accident. And so after that, yeah, I started forming melodies. I didn't know understand music right i didn't understand sheet music or anything like that but i started forming melodies and lyrics so i wrote my first song when i was 13 14 and then from there it was like i started filling binders with songs that's what i did during class i didn't engage in the subject matter it was just let me let me work out this hip-hop rhyme or let me figure out how this punk punk rock or hardcore song is going to go. Cause I really love the beastie boys at the time. And a lot I, of I genre diversity there, right? So, yeah. <laughs> and so that's what I did for the, the final year in junior high and the last years of high school. And then at 17, you know, I saw my friend play guitar at, at a camp and that made me go, wow, like you can play Blink-182 and Matchbox 20, whatever was popular at the time. You can actually do that. And so that made me really want to pick up my guitar because I had a guitar sitting in my closet. So that, those are some of the the inception, you know, the origin story of it. So so from songwriting into Music Entrepreneur HQ, uh, the courses, the books, the podcast, uh, what got you into that sector of the industry? Yeah, that's a brilliant question as well. So I got into network marketing in 2011. And what it really did was it it caused me to look at my music career in a whole different way. Um, there was there was aspects of the network marketing that I was somewhat attracted to as well, like the idea of wealth and freedom. Who doesn't want that, right? But it, it's funny how like we it, when we were assimilating information, most of the time we're just looking for things that will hopefully affirm our point of view or enhance our point of view. And so when I was at the, you know, digging into these resources with network marketing and going to these conferences and events and constantly being in training with with a whole swack of different things conversations and communication and you know you read 15 minutes per night and you listen to audios 30 minutes per night and this was this was a habit that you expected to do every single day and i just began to see more opportunities i i, I you know i started to see that long-term mindset was important uh even after a musician of 10 years at that point i'm embarrassed to say i didn't really realize how important maintaining a long-term mindset and being consistent and applying myself to achieve my goals every single day, how much that was actually mattered and how much difference that was going to make. And so I really started making discoveries like that. And then that really fused for me, music and entrepreneurship. And, and therefore it became Music Entrepreneur HQ in, in due course. That's so, so cool. And that's the 
that's the story that really ties into kind of what we were talking about in the first segment about the importance of why creators should get into teaching and making courses. Because to me, that's inherent with adopting a long-term mindset as an indie creator, because building courses, that's passive income, right? You create the course once and people can continue to consume it. You know, you'll make updates here and there, but you know, being, you know, creating art in a lot of ways can be a short-term mindset because you always have to be out there performing unless you, you know, you create a massive hit song that makes you rich for the rest of your life. (laughs) But for the most part, it's a very short-term kind of profession. But if you can also do teaching as a revenue stream and create books and other materials, that's a long-term approach that fits in right well with what you were talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was a guitar teacher of 10 years as well. So I I spent quite a bit of my time and formative years there really learning the instrument myself. I think I started teaching when I was like two and a half years into it. So I was learning a lot as I was going too. but that was that was a really great experience. So yeah, turning that into, like you say, knowledge assets or info products can yeah, you can totally act as as passive income or mailbox money. Cool. Well, let me shift gears here because you currently hold a lot of different job titles, but one job title you held in a former life was film critic. And we love mm. the film buffs on Break the Business. And one of the questions that we love to ask the film buffs on this program, because I know it uh, it always inspires conversation, is what is your most controversial film opinion? Oh my gosh, that's going to require some serious thought, I think. <laughs> um, you know, Baja Beach Bums sucked. Uh, I think everyone would agree with that, though. <laughs> it's, it's not terribly controversial. Um, like, is there a movie that you reviewed where, you know, everybody in the world thought it was great and you dumped on it or the flip side, which is probably even better where you were like the lone voice fighting for a masterpiece that nobody else could see, but you. So, so here's probably the most controversial thing now that, that I've sparked it a little bit. So Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles three is better than Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. It's, it's better. Whoa. I feel like I'm gonna have to go watch them both this weekend now. Yeah, my man watch... is telling us right here on this program he, on his TMNT power rankings. He's got Turtles in Time above Secret of the yeah. Ooze. Yes. Woo. If you watch it really oh. car- carefully in, in Turtles Two, nothing happens. They just keep evading the attacks and pretending they don't happen. And the turtles don't draw out the weapons because it's too violent for kids, apparently. <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to no, remember because, like, you know, it's been a long time. Was Secret of the Ooze, the second turtle movie, is that the one that had Vanilla Ice in it? Yeah. And, so and admittedly, you're, you're I telling a, me that Turtles in Time is better than Ninja Ninja Rap? Yeah. Like, I'm addicted to... I'm addicted to ninja rap as much as anybody else. That was a great, great moment. <laughs> Campy as it was, but Turtles 3 holds up as a better movie. Wow. Wow. We asked for a controversial opinion and our man brought it. <laughs> uh, you can find out more about our guest's work uh, at musicentrepreneurhq.com. He's got the Music Money Machine course. He has the new music industry podcast, and he has his latest edition of the Music Entrepreneur Code, his book that's coming out in 2022. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, no, I'm excited to come out with the second edition of the Music Entrepreneur Code. It did really well for us last year, and it became an Amazon bestseller, and, and that was my third best-selling book, best to my knowledge. Maybe I maybe I missed out on some other <laughs> rankings there. Yeah, thank you. And the, the latest edition... The latest edition doesn't bring like a ton of changes, more resources, more explanation, more content, more opportunities. Yes, absolutely. The biggest thing was I felt it really important to rework the introduction. And and because it's a really, it's a how-to guide and it's logical and it's straight to the point and it's as concise as I could possibly make it. And therefore the intro kind of left, it was good. But I think it left something to be desired in terms of like connecting to me and can, and seeing them, you know, musicians reading it and seeing themselves in my own experience. So henceforth, introductions in my book are going to contain elements of my story that artists can really relate to. And, and from that vantage point, begin to absorb the information that I'm sharing. So I, I think it's really important to create that connection up front. And that's one of the big changes we made. Well, let me ask you this, as somebody who wrote a book and actually has taken the time to update it with new editions, as opposed to uh, some <clears throat> book authors <laughs> that are that are uh, talking on this program right now, uh, what does it mean for you to have had to update the editions of this book? Because I, I wrote my book five years ago, and it is like, I might as well have written it 50 years ago because of mm -hmm. how much the industry has changed. So like... Can you reflect on that experience, like like the need that you have to constantly need to update this book because models are changing, because the industry is changing, because the market is changing? I, I guess I'm kind of lucky that the Music Entrepreneur Code is, is mostly timeless. But what I relate to is with the new music industry. The book is the new music industry. It's called that. And now it's somewhat ironic because, <laughs> like you say, it came out in 2015. And I have plans to update date that one as well it's like the new testament at this point <laughs> yeah like when i wrote that there was a tool called uh one one load and i think before that it was called pog guru or something like that and it uploaded your videos to all these different video sites and it was magical and there's nothing like that anymore that i know of and and so yeah i can think of multiple examples of things that don't exist but you know, maybe it gets people's thinking in the right direction though, right? Because I was big on content distribution, still am in many ways. And so I was always looking for tools like that would allow me to share my message in as many places as possible. Yeah. I mean, like content distribution, that's an interesting because like, yeah, my book like had a whole chapter on content distribution, talking about nice. distribution services. And, but like, if I were writing the same book today, you know, I might reserve it to a couple paragraphs because for most mm. indie creators out there, like, you know, who gives a damn if you put your music on <laughs> Spotify at this point and make six tenths of a stream when really yeah. where you should be focusing are the kind of creator economy platforms that we talked about in this first segment or creating revenue streams in, say, like teaching, you know, where you have like passive income or trying to go out there, find relationships and build equity building opportunities in your career. And those are all fairly new innovations that have emerged in the last 12 to 36 months and have really just caused a fundamental shift in the industry. I mean, the stuff that we were talking about on this podcast five years ago versus what we talk about now mm. is uh, night and day. Yeah. It's really quite wild. 
Uh, again, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting musicentrepreneurhq.com. David, this has been a slice of life, my man. Before we let you go and let you uh, dig into that Thanksgiving turkey, as we're all equally mm. excited to do, one last question. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Oh, gosh. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> I think well, I would maybe add to just what you said with the creator economy and all these new platforms and opportunities. And I couldn't agree more. It's so great that there's so many of these now. And I would also suggest owning the race course, as my coach often suggests. Make sure you have your own platform as well, because if push comes to shove, Facebook might be gone. Clubhouse might be gone. We all know that their popularity fluctuates. Things change all the time. The one thing that you're going to be able to hold on to is your website and your email list. And, you know, with your email list, technically, yes, the email service provider owns it, but you should still be able to back up the data frequently enough that you can hold on to that. So those are the two things you're going to own. And even in times when we have such amazing tools, it's still important to make sure that you build your home base. Right on. Yep. Those are the you know the pieces of real estate you can always have no matter what happens uh, in the creator economy out there. David, this has been a pleasure. Please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Anytime. I'll be happy right. to. David Andrew Weeb, everybody. Wasn't that a treat, Zach? Dude, you know, and we didn't even get to talk about talked about my favorite article that I've looked up on of his about mindset and playing the comparison game via social media. Little off topic, but I highly recommend if you guys out there get on his Twitter feed and go down a little bit. There's a fantastic uh, article titled, let me pull it up so I can, uh, Breaking the Toxic Patterns of Trying to Be Better in Your Music Career. And it's, it's, a, it's a stellar read. And so you're saying one of the paths to ruin that you can have is getting into that social media comparison shopping where you know, you're looking at other people's profiles and the seeing your things they're doing. And that can just make you go into a sadness spiral, which is really like social media is terrible at that. Right. Because nobody's putting the dark stuff on social media. Like all you're seeing is the best version of everybody, whether that's yeah. personally or professionally. And so, yeah, if you're looking at people's social media accounts, you're only seeing their good stuff and you know about your good stuff and your bad stuff. <laughs> and so right. it can make you feel worse by comparison. So you always got to remember you're only seeing the good stuff on their profiles. Yeah. Or what they he, want you to see. He makes a very interesting point. I think our conversation with David and the article together is like, you know, don't waste your time on that crap. Go make some music. <laughs> there you go. Like, don't even, don't even just shut that stuff out and get to what uh, David had already said was a high, you know, the most high value activity you can be doing as an indie creator, not admin stuff, not checking your social media uh, like a, like a crazy person, but making stuff, creating stuff, being a hyper creator. Uh, what'd you think of what he said about that list of making a list of like a hundred people for you to meet and defining goal setting, not just by accomplishing tasks, but by creating relationships that blew my mind. I think that is such a better way to handle a to-do list. Like yeah, right? that makes, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. And like, I, I just, I really think about how like every major step I've made in any profession, music, law, teaching, it's always a, a relationship game, right? It always is. I don't know why that I never, you know, cross that bridge in the music industry saying, maybe I should just meet more people. Yeah. Um, especially because the people I have met in my music career have been the most impactful. People like you, like Cheryl B. Engelhart, Suze Polinsky, you know, Ariel Hyatt, you know, the, these are people who've made a huge, huge movement in my life. And it was because I met them. <laughs> yeah. 
And for the most part, like, at least I found in my life, like, a surprising amount of people that you would never think would want to talk to you, like, will be willing to talk with you if you actually write them, like, a thoughtful message where it's not just, like, a spam cookie cutter thing because people have really good BS detectors now and they know when they're getting the BS, you know, cookie cutter email. But when you write something thoughtful and heartfelt and personalized, you'll get a lot of yeses in terms of like a 15 minute zoom call or something. Laura Allen, another guest on your show gave me an hour of her time because I reached out with a personalized message to her. Um, You know, you're, I think you're dead on by the way. And in your book, I'm going to say, I love this in your book. Because you were bagging on your own book, and I, I'll have none of that, sir. Um, <laughs> Zach has no room for break the business book slander around here. In one of, in one of your the it's, I forget exactly where it was in your book, but you talk about don't be like the generic artist who just and you've even said this on the podcast. Don't send out the auto reply. It's like hey, you know, people get very quickly that that's not an authentic message. If you're going to be authentic, be authentic and be very thoughtful about. What you're referencing, and the what you reference on the podcast, I remember specifically because I was doing it at the time, Ryan. There was an, <laughs> there was a, uh, I kid you not, there was some app that would like anytime you got a Twitter follower, that automatically send them a message and say, "Hey, thanks," you know, oh, some, God. some BS thing. And you were on the podcast in the book, like, "Stop doing that; it's annoying." And I was like, Oops. <laughs> and I got rid of it. And guess what? I I wound up with more Twitter, Twitter followers. So you know, well, there you yeah. go. Um, well, but again. I think the real source of you having more Twitter followers, as I've said before, you're the nicest follow on Twitter. So, you know, that that is a title you will have uh, forever and ever. Uh, The last thing that David sort of talked about at the end there about creators getting into more of these like Web3 creator economy platforms and creating long term revenue streams from it. uh, We were talking before the show, Zach, about. What I'm, what to me is like the coolest, latest example of this from somebody from our lives, Jonathan Mann, who wrote the theme song to Break the Business that you all heard at the beginning of the program. He's been on the show before. He's the Guinness World Record holder for most consecutive days writing a song. He's take, for those of you who aren't uh, up to speed on what he's doing, this is so cool in terms of like creator economy stuff. He is taking his 4,000 some odd songs that he's written over the last 12 years, a song every day. And he's putting them into a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. He's created a D, he's created a DAO that um, that is going to own the copyright to all four thousand some odd of these songs. And then he's selling each of the individual songs as an NFT. And by buying the NFT, you buy into this DAO and can uh, own a piece of the revenues that this uh, DAO generate. Now, here's the beauty part, Zach. He's actually the people who own the NFTs and get to be part of this DAO. You don't just make money passively. So the people who own in this platform, they don't get compensated just for sort of sitting around and waiting for money to come in. The DAO pays you when you go out and find opportunities for the songs in the DAO. So like you go out, you find a sync opportunity. The DAO pays you Um, like, you know, so you have to be an active shareholder. And so basically not only is he created a platform where he gets to make a lot of money on the front end by people buying all of these NFTs, but he's going to create a sales force, a a street team of 4,000 people trying to actively go out and create opportunities for his music. How is that for creator empowerment? That is wild. Um, I was terrified, Ryan, for a minute. This started to sound like a multi-level marketing scheme, and then you're like, but, and I was like, oh, this makes a (laughs) heck of a lot of sense. I was afraid you'd be like, and then if you sell the NFT, you can. You know. That's right. No, no, so I, I love the gonna, idea. There's going to be one, one person in the NFT who's driving around a pink Cadillac and everybody else is broke. 
But here's my mission on this DAO. So one of the songs in this DAO is the Break the Business theme, because that is one of the songs of his song a day thing. We need to buy this NFT. I cannot live in a world where somebody else owns the Break the Business theme song NFT. So I got to like get on an email with Jonathan or something. And make sure that he sets that one aside for us. You better get it or else you're going to be in a Taylor Swift situation. I brought it back where you have to write, (laughs) record a cover of your song so that you can do that. I just realized like there's probably a considerable number of people who watch or listen to this program. If you're within the sound of my voice, don't you buy that NFT. I will come after you. There was part of me that was like, like Metal Dave, if you're out there. Yeah, he'll do it too. Like, get it, Metal Dave. Oh my God, he would lord it over me like all the time. Do it. Like he would like he would like get like the he would get like the flash drive that like holds the data for the NFT and like frame it and like put it up on his wall and like take pictures of it and send them to me. Oh my God, he would totally do that. Oh, Metal Dave, do it. No, <laughs> we have to get that. All right. Oh my God. Okay. Um, ha- happy Thanksgiving, by the way, Zach. You got some you, cool plans ahead for that? Go, gonna go take the baby down to the in-laws and hang out, and it's gonna be no groaning. My in-laws are actually dope, so you know, if all you fans out there, my in- I won the in-law lottery. It's gonna be a good time. Nice. Oh, that's fabulous, my man. I hope that uh, you and your wonderful wife and your fantastic baby have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. Um, eat lots of whatever food it is you like to consume on that day. And I promise to do the same, and I uh, really appreciate you hanging out with us this week, man. Hey, give give the studio dogs some pets, would you? Of course, of course. Uh, Molly is actually not too far, just outside the door. I couldn't let her in because there are—you might have actually picked some of this up on the mic. There are neighbors just outside my window making an, a considerable amount of noise, and I know that if I'm if she's in the room too, she will bark right alongside them, and that will definitely pick up on the mic and ruin our Thanksgiving Day spectacular here today. Well— Happy Thanksgiving, Ryan. Happy Thanksgiving, Producer Lauren. Happy Thanksgiving, Molly. You guys have a good one. We'll see you next time.